And now, the Sleephawk Worldwide Podcast. Here are your hosts, Brandon Staten and Tyler Hansbro. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sleephawk Worldwide Podcast. This is Sleep Dog with the Big Hulk. What's up, everybody? It's the Big Hulk. Great episode today. Um, Sleep, this is probably one of my favorite episodes we've ever done here on Sleephawk. Uh, we've gotten a lot of attention, and we're going to bring you a great pod. Oh, man. we I mean, it's been a big, big, big week for Sleephawk Worldwide. Uh, shout out, John Wall. Thank you. Uh, shout out, West Durham. Thank you. Uh, me and a big hawk. Um, shout out Mondo Baycott because me and the Big Hawk were at the uh, the game um, Saturday night. Congratulations to Armando Baycott for breaking the Big Hawk's record and also mm-hmm. for uh, drumming up a little uh, notoriety for the uh, Sleep Hawk Worldwide podcast for those of you listening to the game, watching us. But uh, we're going to jump into a little bit about uh, about the game against NC State and then we'll have Bomani Jones on the podcast here, right here, right now. Uh, honestly, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just gonna be great. We get into all kinds of stuff and nil and how we all know each other. And uh, Bomani's all time top five and tease that one. But before we do that, we've got to talk about the just shellacking we put on the Wolf Pack as if that were any surprise. A lot of tears. I, you know, I'm on. Luckily, I'm on the fifth floor of this building here in Raleigh because the tears are up to about the damn floor on the fourth floor. Uh, from the fouls that weren't called. So, uh, what were your thoughts on the game and and Armando? We talked a little bit about this, but you know, on Armando breaking all time rebound record. Yeah, I'm happy for Armando. These records are meant to be broken, and the way that Armando has put the work in and worked on his body uh, with the strength coach Jonas Serration, who does an amazing job. His ability to take contact, handle contact, handle contact right now is totally night and day to when he was a freshman. And uh, I couldn't be happier. He's done it. He's had a heck of a career so far. Uh, so rebounds, you never can be selfish by getting too many rebounds. You can make an argument that if you're scoring a lot, you got to be a little selfish. Um, you can make that argument. Rebounding, no way. Uh, this was a blue collar stat. Couldn't be more happy for him. And uh, I got to pass the torch to old uh, Mondo. Uh, sorry, sleep. I was eating some of Jimmy's uh, famous seafood, mm. the crab cakes. I just had a little stuff in my mouth. The cookie it was of the amazing. Sea. And uh, shout out to Jimmy's man. Crab cakes are amazing. But um, no, I'm happy for Armando. I think they should fucking um, take that dude. The fucking cookie of the sea. That's the fucking Jimmy's famous seafood, the cookie of the sea. They'll fucking put damn uh, tuna fish, whatever they are, out of business. Uh, no, you're right, man. And it was cool for me because I was sitting there uh, uh, with you, man. It's just great. To see. And, and Armando is is a different player when you watch him in person and you watch him up close. I mean, the way that he controls the paint is 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 really really something to see. Um, uh, one thing I do want to say too, as as we get in, I'm about to start throwing just hella shade at NC State, but before I do, I think everybody at UNC is happy to hear that Traquavion Smith didn't have a serious injury. There was some, there was some, a, a time there while we were there, we couldn't see on our. He was on the other side of the floor, and there was a lot going on between us and them. They took him off in a stretcher right in front of us. Uh, you know, given the backdrop of what's happened recently, the uh, um. In Buffalo is, you know, it was, it was, it was a little shocking. And I will I tell you, he right, hit his funny bone. Well, not it. Listen, man, they, they said he had some, uh, you know, 
reported having a little issue in his neck that scared him, and that was protocol at that point. So it was absolutely did turn out to be a big, uh, big nothing. But I'm gonna set the record straight. We were there, and there was a pin. You could hear a pin drop in there. Um, everybody was relieved when they felt like he was he was doing better, and uh, everybody was pissed when they realized that Leaky got tossed out of the game for a call that. Uh, probably should have gone a different way. Yeah, we're we're all happy that Tracravion Smith is okay. I mean, no Tar Heel was pulling for him not to be, and I'm glad that he's doing well. And sounds like he's going to be uh, making a full recovery. Let, let's set the record straight on that. But let's let's get right into um, Leaky getting tossed. That was a. I mean, that was a little. That was a little much, and th- there was no. Harm done with that. There's no reason he should have been tossed. And also the uh, the foul that I can't remember who did it, but the the offensive foul that they called that they reviewed to me later in the game was much worse than mm-hmm. what Leaky had. And if Leaky gets ejected, I think an ejection is uh, deserved for that one as Doing well. Doing on the play, Caleb hit him in the nose. Yes. Yeah. And and listen, man, it was it was it's laughable because if you were watching that game, the game was close. In the first half, like there was time, you know, it could go, but about 15 minutes, you know, to go in that game, Carolina just turned on the throttle. That game wasn't nearly as close as the score even indicated. And so state fans left and right are pissed about the foul discrepancy. And this is something we've talked about. You primarily, T, have talked about this. It's like, what the, f- like, equal fouls is not like a, 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 I can't even it's so fucking stupid that state fans are pissed about the foul discrepancy when you watch that game that I can't even put it into words. They act like the every game is is poorly officiated if both teams don't take home a free throw fucking trophy. We bodied them the whole game. We were on the offense the whole second half. We got to the line because we were the better team. We're the more athletic team. We're the more aggressive team. We just beat them as we often do. And uh all they could point to is is uh is the fact they didn't get to shoot enough free throws. It's sleep. Uh, to to point out the free throw difference is never a indication of you know poor officiating. Uh, someone can make that argument, but obviously they don't understand basketball all that well because other teams, like I've said, uh, you know, de- defensive discipline is a huge deal. Uh, not fouling your man is a huge deal. Also. Attacking the basket is a correlation to how many times you get to the free throw line. What does Carolina do? They dump it down to Mondo a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, they go inside. So if the more you go inside, the more fouls you get. Uh, to me, it looked like State really attacked early, if I'm breaking the game down. And honestly, they got off to a good, really good mm-hmm. start. I yeah. thought they controlled the first half. They did a very good job. They ran a lot. Uh, the Burns kid is much, you know, much bigger presence than I realized. And I think mm-hmm. he's... He's a very good player. He's got some touch around the rim. The Turquavion Smith is a very athletic, fast player. Gets to the basket. Uh, But, you know, the correlation between free throw difference is never an indication of poor refing. It's an indication of, hey, your team fouled more. Because you foul more doesn't mean that the refs automatically have to call fouls on another team to make it look like they're not cheating the game. Uh, That is an awful thought. Uh, But also, I would say that State, if I were to look up the stats, they probably average uh, more fouls than maybe any ACC school. So maybe you guys should discipline, practice uh, defensive discipline and not fouling instead of just pointing at uh, 
the refs all, all the time. That's a big deal. Sleep. And for any any state fans tuning into the show now that we had our big break on ESPN, to, thanks to West Durham, um, that are that are that are bitching and moaning about us taking this stance, go back to the last episode and listen to how we told everybody how great we thought NC State was this year and how great they were playing. And we just showed up. We just beat them, you know. And it's nothing to it. We just. Um, you know, it's just, you know, poor officiating would be in that game if both teams had the same amount of free throws, because we talk about this a lot, how when there is a disparity, you tend to get touch fouls called so that they can draw the, you know, falsely draw it closer. I think the real storyline, if you want to talk about free throws is the fact that we made 36 of those motherfuckers. I mean, it was incredible how many free throws we made. So, yeah. uh, and, and, and if you're going to get to a line, you might as well make them and sleep. You've, you've mentioned this a lot. Uh, you're, you're big on making your free throws because, uh, it's the second highest percentage shot in basketball. And let's just be honest, no one's guarding you. Uh, you know, you're, you're conditioned to have a routine. So basically if you practice enough, it, enough. It's pretty much a uh, muscle memory when you get up there, but sleep also, um, I got to give RJ Davis credit. RJ Davis to me has really, really improved. And he's, he's kind of taken a position to be a consistent guy every night. And I was looking at something, uh, online today that said that RJ Davis has had 10 plus points every single game, except for the Citadel game. Wow. And to me, I've always said that RJ is the biggest X factor in college. And I think if he plays well, I think this team is going to be unbelievable. And also I want to say that I've always believed in RJ Davis. I think he can be a very good scorer and very good shooter. It's just a matter of time before it happens. and He kind of breaks out. So I'm really happy to see his improvement and see how well he's playing as well. Great win for Carolina. We said it, we were asking who's what the game is, who is it more important for, Carolina or NC State? And I think you can feel the relevance of that question now that the game is over, right? It's night and day where both programs are compared to where they were before the game started. I mean, if NC State wins that game, they're riding high, man. They're ranked for sure. Um, and if we lose it, everybody's kind of scratching their heads. And I think we come away refreshed, and we're going through a tough section of the schedule. And NC State has got their, you know, scratching their head like, how be damn, like, we then got us again, right? Uh, but to their credit, they they continue the streak of losing to good teams. So you know we'll see where things go from here. Um, but but we gotta like the position you're in as a Tar Heel. Um, you know it's not over for state. They're they're still a tournament team and 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 got plenty of season ahead of them. So coming up next after the break, that I don't even know what the break is gonna be, but maybe you know something cool that Pablo comes up with. We're gonna sit down with the one, the only Bomani Jones. The smartest guy, not just in sports, but the smartest guy I know, which I understand, no, no offense, Tyler, is a very low bar, but he sets it way high. And the conversation is just, look, if you don't listen to anything we ever do, you got to listen to this one um, because it's it's just great. So enjoy. And, and return to the real world with a renewed sense of self. And always remember that Coach K collected over 40 years of victories, but Danny Green still put his balls on Greg Paulus's forehead. Keep up alive. That's our show for tonight. I got $100 on me right now if you can spell Shashevsky. Can you use it in a sentence? Mike Krzyzewski lost his last game at home against North Carolina, and it was one of the greatest nights of my life. <laughs>
It starts with a K? Yes. Bruh. Where? The next letter's an R. Why? There's actually no S in it. Why? Poland. All right, understand. <laughs> Let's do this. Just plays. All right, everybody. It's been a lot, been a big week for Sleephawk Worldwide. We've had a lot, <laughs> we've had a lot of uh, a lot of things we're not used to, and uh, we're just keeping that train rolling with a with a big time guest. We got Bomani Jones on Sleephawk Worldwide podcast. I think we're we're on the map, Big Hawk. <laughs> it's gonna be a great episode. This is big time for us. Thanks, man, Bomani. Man, oh, man, I appreciate it, man. Bomani, thank you first of all for for coming on. Um, we got a lot of stuff. We could talk to you for hours. We're going to try to keep on track here. Uh, but if we could, let's start with how we all kind of know each other. Because Tyler and I were talking about this before you came on. And I think it's just kind of a an interesting place to find the three of us uh, seemingly that have all gone these weird different directions kind of come full circle right here, right now. Yeah, no, I guess it's wild because I've been doing this long enough now that people don't necessarily know that I went to uh, grad school in Chapel Hill, I was studying for a PhD in economics, one that I do not have, just to be clear. Um, and so your first year in the sequence, you work as a research assistant. The second year, you work as a teaching assistant uh, <laughs> for what was then called Econ 10, which, by the way, is a really hard class. Like, that's a lot of economics thrown off. College freshmen, no less, right? And so I was a TA uh, for that. And if I may be honest, I was a pretty good TA. Like I was generally about having a good time, but I also knew how to talk about that stuff with people. So um, I want to say this was either in the fall of 03 or 04. I can't remember which. And I go to P.F. Chang's. And I'm in P.F. <laughs> Chang's to pick up some food. And a guy that works there walks up to me. And he says that he knew me and he said he took my class. And I was like, oh, I didn't remember. And I remember most students. And then he explained to me that his grade in the class is not so great. And then all of that made sense. Uh, but that he appreciated the class and enjoyed it. And that person happens to be you, Brandon Staten. And this is the trick. Take my class, flunk it, but still be cool about it. And I will stay in touch with you because honestly, <laughs> it's a much bigger compliment when somebody who doesn't get a good grade still likes you than it is when someone who gets an A likes you. Like that feels far more conditional. Hey, listen, man. So here, I'm going to go one step deeper. Were you the TA under Ralph Burns? No, I never worked for Burns. I worked okay. for Brad Schwartz. Burns is my guy, though. God, I love Schwartz. that guy. Oh, my gosh. All right, so here's the actual, how I had it remembered in my mind is I was saying that you were so good at your job that I actually passed when you were my TA, so I'm glad I got this <laughs> this right because I took Econ 10 three times. Oh, I did um, not know that I had yeah. gotten you like the second go around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So. Let me tell you, man, Econ 10 was hard, though. Like, I do want to say that for people. It was a legitimately hard class, but I really appreciated that. Like, that that really, uh, like, resonated with me. Like, my mom's a professor, uh -huh. and she has a lot of students that are, like, in that similar place because, again – Somebody gets an A from you, they don't really like you. They like the A. Uh -huh. They don't They don't really appreciate like what it is that you are actually contributing to the process. But if you could get something out of it, it don't matter if you pass the class. All that matters is that you get something out of it. Well, I did. And I'm telling you, man, this is the honest truth. I, I, I had to scratch and claw. You worked on your PhD. I went to school long enough to have one, undergrad. <laughs> I don't have one either, uh, for the record. But it was, uh, yeah, it, it really did. It stuck with me for a long time. Then we got to know each other a little better. When you were working for page two and I had yeah. made it out of whatever I was, I was doing the DHA, uh, DTH thing at the time. 
then that's kind of, you know, we went to the ACC championship in Tampa that year after Tyler took the punch to the face. It was me, you, and I think Evan Markfield. Yep. And, you know, we're just going through this. And, uh, yeah, and I also remember the time when um, I can't remember how I figured it out, but Ty Lawson was at Don Shula's in Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. And my buddy worked there and was like, hey, man, I think he was there with an agent. So I have this blog that gets like four views a week. And I'm like, nobody's going to read this. I write out there, Ty Loss is about to declare for the NBA draft. And the next day it had, I mean, it just blew up. And I woke <laughs> up and I was like, what the hell? I was like, I hope it's right. Uh, and it was, but then he came back. And and then then you had me on the Buzz show, yep. you know? Anyway, my big break. Yeah, and all, all, of, this while, all of this while we were covering Tyler Hansbro. Uh-huh. Like, that is, that yep. is how this all, like, magically comes together at Absolutely. that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Sleep was in college for a while, Bomani. And uh, we, uh, me and Sleep got our relationship on the golf course. First time we played, he almost hit me with the golf ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And I had to, had to hit the deck. Uh, but he, when he told me, he's like, hey, I think I'm going to get Bomani on here. I was like, how in the hell do you know Bomani? And like, then I didn't even realize shit. you were a Tar Heel. Yeah. And then I started connecting the dots. And no, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've talked to you a few times. It was just in the midst of a zillion other people uh, at the same time, because I was in grad school from 03 to 05. And then I was like working in the sports thing. And I wrote this thing about J.J. Reddick in 06 that kind of blew. And then they sent me to cover the tournament um, in Tampa. Mm-hmm. And so I covered a lot of stuff like around. It was a very interesting time to be there. Like I covered all that. I covered the John Wall recruitment when I was down there. And that was an amazing, fascinating story that seems to have overlapped with your life. I see, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I was around for a lot of this. It's just that when you cover college students, A, you don't get that much access and B, I always felt uncomfortable with it. Like mm-hmm. how much are you supposed to be out here nagging people that ain't getting paid? Yeah, and it seems like it has come for uh, full circle. But the whole uh, John Wall thing uh, has been kind of interesting. And I had no idea that you covered that recruitment. Uh, real <laughs> quick, what do you remember about that uh, recruitment? Well, this is what I remember about it. A, I was like, I would never want to cover anybody's recruitment ever again. That was the first thing. It was just so many like oddball characters that were around it. And at the center of it was John Wall, who I talked to one time. Like, I went to an AAU practice and talked to him once, but he wasn't the story. The story was all the grown people that were around. And everybody's got, this guy's got this angle. This guy's got that angle, everything else. But it was really coming down from everybody that I talked to. Roy Williams did not like Brian Clifton, who coached John Wall's AAU team. And that beef was significant enough that it was going to interfere with anything that involved John Wall going to North Carolina. Now, the people I talked to at that time said that if Carolina offered Wall, he'd go, and that was that. But there didn't seem to be an offer. Now, what they would also tell you is there was some kind of recruitment. Like, there were people still calling, like, checking around, seeing what's going on, figuring out what a way might be. You had to remember that Wall's high school coach was a gentleman named Levi Beckwith, who also coached David Noel in high school. And if you remember, they figured out a way for David Noel to get there at first without a scholarship, right? Like there were all kinds of discussions about what was possible. 
But Duke was recruiting him. But as far as I knew, Krzyzewski never even went over to Raleigh to watch him play. So I don't know how much it was recruiting and how much it was saying it was recruiting. Like, I think Nate James was on it. But, you know, there was like, it was all of this. And in the end, it was everybody's like, but he's going to wind up going to Kentucky. And I didn't think he was going to wind up going to Kentucky for any, like, nefarious reasons. I just thought he was going to go to Kentucky because it made too much sense, right? Like, he was a Mm -hmm. perfect fit for Cal and what, you know, and everything they were doing and all of that. Like, that seemed like the move um, for him to make. But what I found surprising when he told the story in that podcast was, one, that we hadn't heard this before. Because I've heard people who have asked him in the past who have said they've asked him, why didn't you go to North Carolina? And they said his answer would be something to the effect of they didn't want me to go there, which, you know, it's complex, but there was something to that. But I'd never heard anything about any visit, official or otherwise. And I wasn't like the greatest reporter in the world, but I felt like I knew enough at that time where I was surprised to hear that there was some measure that, that, that there was a visit. Like I ain't getting into too much about who is, is not telling the truth. Cause I don't know none of y'all like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it was like, I went down there to play. I was like, Oh wow. That's surprising. I never heard that one. Yeah. And, and you talked to wall more than I did. I'll say that. Uh, and this is one thing I don't like about the recruiting and is, you know, you go through, you know, five or different people when you're just recruiting one person. And uh, I, I can tell you that's not Coach Williams' style at all. Oh, he hates that. Uh, oh, he can't stand <laughs> He's not that. He's here for that at all. And, and I, I've talked to my teammates and we can't remember Wall being on campus either. Um, but, you know, you're right. He does seem like a Cal guy, you know, top recruit. Everybody knew he was going to be one and done. And what Cal was doing at the time, it was like a perfect fit. Uh, for that program. You're, you're, you're right on with that. I tell and, you this though, if John Wall had come to Carolina for that team, that 2009, 2010 season goes completely differently. Mm-hmm. Like, I do think Roy should have found a way. Make no mistake about yeah. it. John Wall is a dog, as they say. I mean, dude, he don't act for one second. Like a Carolina fan didn't want him. <laughs> Because we did. <laughs> There's no debate on that. No debate. I think he's incredible. I mean, he's done a lot with uh, with his NBA career, which is a nice little segue. He's a, he's done a lot for Sleepwalk Worldwide, to be honest with you. So <laughs> shout out. Um, but it kind of brings us a little bit to, to why we asked you to come on today, which is, you know, to chat a little bit about um, and, and get into whatever we want. But really, you know, this NIL situation is something that's really intrigued us as a podcast because, you know, Tyler's somebody that could have really monetized that. Draymond Green, I think, was the first person to really just point to Tyler as a good example of, like, what the NIL could do. There's a lot of talk around it. There's all this stuff. that You know, you're going from, from John Wall not really being a good fit because I think that was, like, right in the midst of UNC's, you know, problems with all the football and basketball. Right, and before, right, right before. Right before. Okay. So they probably under the hood knew it was knew it was coming, right? But uh, you know, and then now it's like it's just commonplace. You got guys making money, and it seems like it's just a weird place to play. And I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on on the nil situation as a whole, as well as you know some of these, um, you know, some of the just there's so many storylines with it. Well, you seen this Jalen Rashad, uh, Jaden Rashad story? I can't remember if it's Jalen or Jaden, the quarterback at Florida, who oh, had a yeah. thirteen million dollar deal with their collective down there, mm-hmm. and it seems like the collective decided that he wasn't worth that much money, and so the deal fell through, and now he's got to go find another school to go play at. But the thing that got me was 
He's the number 23 recruit in America. And he got a deal for $13 million. Like at every turn where people were saying, well, we just don't have the money to pay the players. Now, notice they keep finding more money, but they still never have any money to pay the players, right? <laughs> they, they ain't never going to find. It's like they chasing that high that ain't never going to come, right? They addicts so try to try to pay, to pay to pay the players, but never find a way. But if that guy can get 13 mil, it's obvious where the money always was. These crazy people who just mm -hmm. love giving their money to college students. Like there are a lot of them that just really get off on and enjoy doing that for a number of reasons. And we're seeing that the money is there. The problem is there does need to be some measure of regulation. And there is absolutely none. And the whole reason there's none is because the NCAA just doesn't want any part of it. They just don't want to do it. And so it's the wild, wild west. Mm -hmm. What I want to know, though, is how much money are we really talking about here? Jalen Rashada can get that much. If that dude can get that, how much money are we talking about? Because the kids that were getting money under the table before, y'all were getting shortchanged, apparently. <laughs> and, and Bomani, there's no telling. And here's the other thing is um, they always find a way to pay the coaches. And yes. now all of a sudden they can't pay the players. They can't, oh, we don't have the money. And I've said this from the get. I said, you're going to see bad NIL deals done. And it's going to be part of the smoothing out process. And my only question is, if they don't have the money contractually, like they've got to pay that money or you want to go to court, that's more money. So to me, I'm like, you guys got to pay this money, right? How are you? I mean, you can't just give this guy a contract for 13 mil and not pay it. Well, that's what I was wondering about. We actually, for game theory, we were talking about what we want to do about this. And that was one of my things is, is okay. The thing about when you owe somebody money, you don't really have to pay them. Like you do, but you don't really, like what you going to do? And you're right. We go to court, right? Mm -hmm. Who's got the time? Who's got the money? All of those things. I will say this though. And this is what some of these people, these collectives need to understand. Um, different people adjudicate matters in different fashions. And I know a story of one NFL player, and this was when uh, that 30 for 30 broke came out. Mm. And a woman who was dating him at the time told him to watch that. You know, she wanted it to be a cautionary tale and to tell him to take care of his money. So he watched it and she asked him if he watched it. And he was like, yo, I'm so glad you told me to watch that. And she says, all right, so, so what'd you think? He was like, I watched that and I saw what could happen. And I went to my agent's office and I walked in and I pulled out my Desert Eagle and I told him what would happen to him if he ever stole from me. <laughs> now, I have to say, I bet that was a pretty effective strategy to stop him from getting stolen from. Just to be clear, yeah. like it sounds a little bit off the wall, but it I bet work it on me. Yeah. Right? But number two, not everybody adjudicates matters in the same fashion. So they're going to think they're not going to pay some of these dudes. No, somebody's showing up to get that money. But in that regard, I don't know if you ever saw the 30 for 30 they did called Pony Excess. It was about the SMU mm -hmm, uh, scandal mm -hmm, in the 80s. Mm -hmm. But the line that endured from that was when they got caught by the NCAA the first time, because the reason they got the death penalty was they got caught and didn't stop. So when they got caught, they went to the boosters and were like, okay, it's got to stop. And the lead booster said, yeah, but we got a payroll to meet. Mm. So I think the booster class does have an understanding that they're going to have to keep paying out because otherwise they can lose some dudes. But when they get like dissatisfied with somebody's performance, 
then what happens? Because mm-hmm. that's an option they've never had before. They used to have to pay that money up front. They ain't really got to do that. And they used to have to be concerned that if you stop paying, somebody would tell. Mm-hmm. You don't really have to worry anymore about anybody telling because, as you say, take it up with the judge. Right. Mm-hmm. But it, we're not going to get in any trouble for this. This is this is crazy town. Everywhere you look, it's crazy town. I, I, I actually I, I love it. And I love <laughs> players getting paid. And, you know, all these boosters that are really good businessmen, you're starting to see bad deals done. But the thing that I relate to. So I played overseas for three years in China and in China, you always see these absurd contracts and, you know, that those big time contracts, like you see a guy sign, uh, you know, six months, three or $4 million. And then all of a sudden you people in China, they're like, yeah, but he's only going to play two months. They're only going to pay him for two months and then find some way out of it. And even people get hurt. And then all of a sudden the teams are not going to, they're not going to pay that contract. And you know, that's overseas. And I hate to see this happen uh, right here, especially to it's, it feels like they're taking advantage of young kids and they're, and they're, what they're doing is enticing them with these big contracts. And then all of a sudden you have these smart business people swoop in. Well, no, we don't have to pay that and strong arm them. And uh, I hate seeing that done, but uh, somebody's got to pay these kids. If if they want to do a deal, the money has to get there. Well, an interesting yeah, by, part by the way, I would love ahead. to see a documentary of your three years in China. The second I saw that you were signing a deal to go live in China, I was like, I need a camera coup following this around. I want to see this. This is a true story. So my best friend from my hometown, from Papa Bluff, Missouri, about 18,000 people, small town. There's a guy, my teammate, my neighbor growing up, best friend, Ross. He's he's bigger than me. He's about 6'9", probably 315 pounds. I called him. He wasn't doing much. I said, hey, I'm going to China. Can you come with me? I need a roommate. Make it comfortable. He's like, I'm in. We go to China as the season's over. He looks at me and he's like, dude, I can't go back to Missouri. He's like, I love it here. <laughs> really? I love it. Stayed in China, got married, had a baby, uh, been living there. And then when COVID hit, he came back. But uh, China was it was a learning curve for me. But I, I actually really enjoyed my time in China. It was great for me. Oh, that's what's up. Uh, yeah. But I was going to say back to the... Um the NIL and one of the interesting pieces about this is that the people that seem to agree with the sentiment that we need. Well, I think there's a lot of people, but the, the most ardent voices for, you know, some sort of regulation are like your Mac Browns, your Nick Sabans, you're these guys who everybody's going to look at it and say, Oh, well you just don't think it's fair because now everybody can compete with you. I do think that it's really, really fascinating from a product standpoint, how it sort of creates parity. And I'm really interested to get your thoughts about Dion going to, to Colorado and kind of how that's all working. I think it creates some parity, but I also think that Mac Brown and Nick Saban and these guys are right that you do need something, but the voice is all wrong because in a weird way, they don't hold any weight because all the fans think that they're just bitching about the fact that other people can pay players and keep up with them yeah, now. But but one thing to keep in mind, though, no matter what you make the rules, Alabama go like they say, okay, we go do this. <laughs> you can pay. Oh, no, no, no. They'll come up with more. Don't nobody care right. more um, than they do. I think that parity is a tricky notion with this because parity comes with depth. Mm-hmm. And 
there are going to be different schools that have their collectives that are going to be able to throw a measure of money around. But hey, people are still going to primarily want to go to school close to them. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's that's still that's changing a bit, but that's still largely going to be true. They're still going to be attracted to big names. So let's say SMU comes back out here and say they got one hundred million dollars a year to throw out there at players. Somebody else force competition gonna come to the same place or wherever it is, and then it's still gonna come down to am I really gonna go to SMU, right? Because for most of them, they all silly enough to think they're going to the NFL. Like football is mm-hmm. the one I really think about in this one. They all think they're going there. So the long play is still going to the place. And then you get to SMU, and let's say they give everybody all this money, but then they're not playing. They they still need to play, they're still gonna wind up bailing. So I think in the end it changes. I don't think it's going to create the level of parity that people think it does give these schools. I think the occasional chance to get a really big time player, right? Like you got a chance to get you one or two, get you a handful somewhere. Like you see that in basketball a lot, whether it be that one oddball that goes somewhere and it just doesn't make any sense unless somebody just backed up a truck, but he's there (laughs) by himself. It can't wait to leave because he plays with bums, you know, like that sort of thing happens. Now with Dion in Colorado, this is the thing I think that people need to watch out for with him. California, it's going to be a little different now that Lincoln Riley's at USC and they're back to being a power. But California is a bit of a no man's land with recruiting. Like the reason that Mac Brown could get it done at Carolina the first run, and it has a lot to do with what he's doing in the second run is the Tidewater area of Virginia is a recruiting no man's land. It doesn't belong to anybody. And so they're close enough. Like it used to be the ECU was the closest school to there. They got mm-hmm. Michael Vick on campus for a visit. Wow. Right. Like that, like, like that should tell you what you need to know. Right. And so California's got a lot of players and not that many places to go. And all of them are far from California. Like nothing is close. Nothing is similar. So I think he's going to be able to do some work there getting California dudes. And he's always going to be able to recruit DBs. Cause why would you not go play for Deion Sanders? If you're a corner, like, I think he's going to be able to get a decent collection of players, but that school ain't got no money. Mm-hmm. That conference is about to fall off in relevance. And the talent advantage that he had at Jackson State through the transfer portal and everything else is not going to be there at Colorado. So I think that there's a chance for them to be good. Um, I don't know if greatness is really in the pipeline. And what we have not seen from him, and this is a test. I talk to people about this all the time. At a job like that, how well you lose is just as important as how much you win. And you got to you got to make sure that the times are smooth while you're losing. Like, when Carolina had that year, Tyler, the year after you graduated, where they did not make the tournament, Roy Williams couldn't have two of those years. He ain't built for that losing. And he never <laughs> really had to test it out. But he's not a dude that could be like, everything's going to be okay. We're figuring this out. Like, we're going to learn if Dion is a guy that can, while they, and they're going to do some losing, I think, mm-hmm. this first year in particular. I think they're going to do some losing. Can you keep this steady while you're doing the losing? Because if you can't, that's when people start getting demanded. Especially if the money's not right. And that was the weirdest thing of this whole prospect for me is they basically like said at, at one point, and I'm paraphrasing how the story went, but like the AD said, we don't have the money yet. Yeah, we don't even know how we're going to do this. <laughs> and they don't. And that's not a school with a bunch of boosters that really care. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like you got to have a you got to have a special set of people that went to your school that just want to give them like literally treat it like it's a video game and you're buying like extra jerseys and stuff. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you got to really have a special set of people and Colorado does not breed them like that. That's not what they into over there. And he's going to look around. He's going to be complaining about that. Like he complained about Jackson state. It's just going to be on a different scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think a bigger job would have came his way if he would have waited? Um, 
that's a good question because HBCU head coaches never get bigger jobs, right? But he is Deion Sanders. Black dudes have a hard time getting jobs, but he is Deion Sanders. So to me, this was my read on things. People have said that Cincinnati was thinking about giving him a gig. If Cincinnati would have been open, that was the job to take. And you could look at what's happened for their last run of coaches. Like if that was open, that was the job to take. I don't know what Dion found to be important and maybe they weren't paying as much money, all kinds of things. Maybe the lure of being in a power five job, I don't know. But I would think that Cincinnati did not offer the job if he did not take the Cincinnati job. I think at some point it could have happened because the currency is players, man. Like the strength of your program and the strength of your brand is reflected by your roster. It's not your one loss record. You take that program out every day and you sell it to kids. And they tell you whether your program is on point or not by whether or not they come. And Dion will get players. And so somebody was going to do it, right? It was just a matter of how good the job was that he was ultimately going to get. But it was going to be somebody that gave, that, that gave it a chance. Because if you could get the number one recruit in America to come to Jackson State, man, you, you can get players. And, and I, I agree. I, I don't think there's anybody that sells a program better than Deion's. I mean, I mean, you look at his social media. I mean, that's something that kids are on and they look they look for. He's done an unbelievable job. It, it is going to be interesting to see what he does at Colorado uh, to me and how he sells that program in the same way, uh, because who wouldn't want to play for Deion? Yeah. And I got to You know, Colorado is tricky for me when I think about it because they were something different when I was little. Like when I was little, they were great, mm-hmm. not just good, but mm-hmm. like national championship. Were they like great. Rashawn Salam and those guys? Yeah. And even like they won the championship, like even before that. So like from the championship run that really starts in 89 to like 01, they were a legitimate program. And it would be impossible to explain to an 18 year old now that like this used to be a thing. Yeah, I don't. And, and, and you know, there was like. It was interesting to me that there were like whispers that he would go to, you know, like Auburn. People were talking. And I, oh, I realized well, a lot of that, that was that 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 was never going. To happen. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I I love to fantasize about that because I'm thinking like this whole social media thing, Deion Sanders, Auburn. There is no like ability. Could you imagine those fans if he comes in with the pomp and circumstance and they go seven and five, eight and four, whatever? Like, I mean, it would. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on there that I was just like, how could. How could that ever happen? But it's but they, so- they would have had one of the five best rosters in America oh a week God. after he showed yeah. up, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the fun thing to think about is he's such a he's different. You know, yes. he's like a really fresh, you know, face to a job that has just been very traditional. And it, it's fun for football if his team's winning, I'll tell you that much. Let me tell you, if he starts winning, he's on the sideline with like gold chains on and everything <laughs> else. Like, like the way. No football coach has ever like been better dressed than Dion was at Jackson State. It's just that people weren't watching those games. Like right. Dion's, it's going to look completely different with him. And that is something I do give him a measure of credit for on this is that he is like, I am Dion Sanders all the time. Like what I didn't fully appreciate until I started talking about him in public recently and people getting mad at me about it. Man, he's so famous. Like I had. I had lost track or sight of just how famous Deion Sanders was because, I mean, I've been a sports junkie forever. So, of course, he was going to be like super famous to me. But I didn't fully appreciate like the magnitude of that dude until the last couple of months. Like he runs a room in a way that is unlike there. there is no college football coach right now that can hold down more rooms than Deion Sanders can. 
I was I was uh, nine years old in 1992, eight years old. My sister was uh, was born in 1992 in December, and I remember my parents. Dion was, I mean, I was my favorite. Jordan and Dion, those were my guys, right? And uh, I remember my parents did the whole thing where they don't find out what gender it is until they have the baby. So we're like going through, and they had this book with all these names in it. And so we're going through, and they're like, you know, this man, like, what do you think we should? And I found Dion in there. And I was so pissed when they were like, I was like, Mom, if it's a boy, we got to name it Dion. And she was like, "That, you know, no. And I was so pissed. I'll never forget. I was crying, man. I was like, that why not? Amazing. You know? That would have been, been killer. amazing. Um, well, look, man, uh, before we get out of here, uh, tell us a little bit about the game theory. I'm curious to know how it came about. If you could just, you know, I mean, I followed you when you were, you know, I was fortunate to be there in the page two days. And you know, it's been so much fun for me because I'm like, I don't know how the hell I wound up in this seat right here talking <laughs> to two people that are a hell of a lot more successful than I am. But uh, it's 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 fascinating for me to watch because I've always looked up to you, man. You always took good care of me when I was a kid and didn't know what the hell I was doing. The John Bunning story, you were there, right? When yeah. when, when Bunning basically, uh, I thought he was going to kick my story. ass. Oh man, dude, he uh, I'll never forget that. I was so sick of covering that damn team, <laughs> and I asked him, I was like, "Yo, Joe Daly's out here. He said he doesn't really like football." And he's like, challenged me. I was like, well, dude, what the hell? I'm just asking a question. And then I remember leaving that place and all the other, I felt, I was so nervous. And I felt like I had just done something wrong and I left and people were like, pat me on the back. Like, finally somebody asked him. And I thought it was, I was just too stupid to know any better. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, it was always, it was always cool to, to get to know somebody that I could tell was on a trajectory like yours. And um, it's been really, really fun to watch, you know, your whole career just evolve into what it has, man. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how the hell do we take Sleephawk Worldwide? Get us a couple deals, like take <laughs> take it to HBO. Nah, man. The number one thing is just make sure your content is good. Like that was the thing for me always early in all the things I did. I did a lot of promotion, but the key was if you promote something that's whack, you get exposed. Mm -hmm. And so, like my big thing always was, I got to make sure that this content is hidden. And it, like that was, and what happens is, and this is the biggest thing people need to understand about this day and age, the greatest form of advertisement or recommendation is people being like, yo, you got to check this out. People don't trust the institutions enough to believe it necessarily because they see it in a commercial, but they believe their friends. And so if their friends are like, I know this, I know you, you should check this out. That does the job. You know, that's how it goes. And so like this game theory thing is actually interesting because I was doing a show on ESPN called High Noon. And uh, ESPN decided to cancel that. I got no gripe with them on that. It wouldn't. You got to have a show that they can't cancel. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if they can, they might. But you got to create a situation where they can't. And we didn't do that. You know, and that's how it goes. So I didn't really know what I was going to do after that. And so I guess this is like March of 2021. I get a phone call from my agent. And he's like, check your email. We got something for HBO. So they send me this pitch deck for the show. That is what has become game theory. And I'm on a call. It's one guy who works with Adam McKay. It's a guy who used to work on The Daily Show and work with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Another guy who worked on a lot of Comedy Central stuff. And it's the entertainment world. And I don't do that, right? That's not my space. And I looked at the deck and I got on the call with him and I said, look, um, this deck does not fit me. It's clearly made for a comedian. I am not a comedian. But this show was perfect for me. That I am the only person that can host this show. Sounded like some real Trumpian stuff. But the reason <laughs> I said that was um, 
I was like, you need somebody that sports fans take seriously. Like, you just can't send anybody out here just cracking jokes about sports and making people laugh. They, they, this is too important to them for that, right? You got to have somebody who has a gravity to it, but can also carry some of the entertainment components of it. And so we did it, and um, we shot a pilot, and the network loved the pilot. And then we went from there. But the tricky part of it was, it's like, it's got to be your show. And I'm like, but y'all call me. Like, like I didn't ask y'all to do this. Like, now I got to come up with a show. And then I figured out how I want to do a show. And it's been a lot of fun. Like, I mean, the idea that somebody would give me money and a budget to make a museum exhibit about Duke basketball <laughs> terrorizing Black America. And, you know, like, like, hey, man, you think at any point in my life I ever imagined that all the Duke jokes that I had been telling my whole life I would be able to put on television? Oh, I love it. I love it, man. I was just watching that to prepare for this is like catching back. I watched that with a, uh, you know, a couple or last year when it first came out. Cause I love Stephen A and anytime Bomani Jones is going to talk shit about Duke and coach K I'm in <laughs> and, uh, man, this shit's hilarious. Actually, one of my favorite things <laughs> of that is when we have the picture of Sheldon Williams. And I just remember that I think it was a 26 and 10 and Tyler put all the, all senior night. That is one of my friend's favorite <laughs> Carolina memories in city JJ out on it with an L on senior night. That's got to be one of my favorite games too. Uh, our freshman year going over there, that was uh, that was up there for me. Um, Bomani, I got to ask you a few more nil questions. Yeah. First of all, I've always made this argument for paying players, and I know you're big on you know players getting power. Uh, what do you think? Um, I've always said that if there's a head coach at a major university getting a $150,000 car for free. And then you've got a kid who can't afford a car, doesn't come from a high income or medium income uh, household, but people are arguing against paying him. And everyone always thought that there's going to be all this money for all these players. Now I see, you know, you said uh, these top guys get a lot of money, but I always make this argument. Why shouldn't, uh, why would people argue against that kid getting any money? Yeah, it's just, I mean, there's so many levels that it gets to often with people. And sometimes you can't help but wonder if it's, there's a racial element to it because there's, we the only people anybody expect to work for free. Um, (laughs) And so it, it, what blows my mind about those arguments always is it's not even your money. Right. Like we're not talking about somebody taxing you in order to pay these people. It's not even your money. Like you just seem hateful and spiteful when mm-hmm. you get to this place. And I do think, though, that part of it is I, I think a lot of the people who are involved in the discussion don't really understand the financial situations that a lot of people like people and players generally are like. I think especially I think the people who don't go to college think everybody in college has money. I think that people mm-hmm. who went to college who had money hung out with people who also had money. And so they don't realize like the struggle that a lot of people had. Like I went to an HBCU. And so I had all of the kids who show up one year, don't show up the next year because they don't have the money or you see them at the mall because they're at work. Like we were very aware of what the financial situations were that people um, were dealing with. But a lot of people, I don't think they know that this like, People ain't everybody mama able to send them money. Mm-hmm. I, I got I just don't think that people really know and understand that. And so you're at a position where you're 18 years old or whatever. And the, the way the rules go is if you're 18 and you don't have money, you got to be the one to go get it. But I don't have time to go get it. I got to go get this money for y'all. I got to, mm-hmm. you know, get this scholarship and I've got to do all these things. And it just it always feels like a, such a lack of empathy for those players, because I could imagine so many guys could look and be like, point at insert player here on any of those teams you were on and be like, yo, you don't know what that dude 
was having to do to try to make this happen. You don't know what this dude was going through or what what his money situation was. Like there was one of your teammates I would notice anytime there was a big announcement, always wore the same vest. He wore the vest when he declared for the draft. I've seen another one, never with a jacket. It was always the vest. And you look at it and you realize, oh, that's his, that's his suit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's his one. Uh-huh. And I agree. And the other thing is, do you think the NCAA is sustainable? And I've said on this podcast, I don't. And no. the reason they have totally taken their position, they have taken a non stance on every uh, hot topic. They they just can't pick a side. And it's almost like they're sitting back too scared to make anybody upset at them. I don't think they're sustainable. I've said that on this podcast. What are your thoughts on that? No, I agree. I think they serve a purpose like as an academic clearinghouse and somebody has to host the events. But you think about this. Now that people can get paid through NIL, what, what anybody need the NCAA for? They was just the cops. Right. Like yeah. they was just out here chasing, chasing, chasing it down, trying to keep people broke. Like there was the whole thing. Those days are over. And so you look at it. They also have had big staffing losses over the years. Mm-hmm. Like their investigative staff is basically bare bones now because like people see the writing on the wall. So, no, I don't think that this is I think this whole model of college sports as it is, it can't be sustained. When you think about the fact that it's built on the fiction that the players are not employees. Like at some point, that's going to get dealt with, too. They can't keep staving that reality away forever. At some point, the courts are going to be in such a way where that's going to happen. So, no, I think that's all going to collapse. But I don't know what happens to the larger thing once it collapses. Like, I don't I it was always silly and it's fun, but it was silly for us to attach these games to the schools. The schools add a pageantry and the surrounding. Like if we take the same level of players and we put them on minor league teams, we won't find it nearly as interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Take everything yeah. exactly the same, but take away all the cultural stuff. We're not going to find it the same, but it's preposterous, man. It's mm-hmm. foolish. It's, uh, it's like, none of it makes sense. 100%. And I first saw when the NCAA handled the women's basketball, the tournament in the weight room during COVID, I was really pissed because the president of the NCAA didn't come out and make a statement. It was he sent somebody else to handle that press conference. And if it was me, I would be like, no, I got to go out here and fix this myself. I would never do that. And it just showed a lack of leadership from the top, in my opinion, right there. And my other problem is I want to ask you about the transfer portal. I don't like the idea that kids can just transfer midseason if things aren't going the right way. But my argument against that is if you have coaches that can leave in the middle of the season like Notre Dame's coach did a few years ago for LSU, there's no reason the kids can't. Yeah, and that's, I think you and I are in the same place on that, right? That Mm -hmm. it is fundamentally unfair that the coaches can bail whenever they want to and the players can only do so in the presence of a penalty. But all of this movement is not good for these players i don't think in the long run and this is the way that i think about it um for college players is if you stay in college at a place for four years and you play you don't have to play a lot but you play and people get familiar with you and you kind of become the fabric of whatever the place is there's benefits to that that you will Uh keep for the rest of your life that don't make sense to you. I understand when you're 18 and all you want to do is play, but 
your best bet is to stay somewhere, get familiar, make the friends, establish the relationships. Like that's going to go farther from you, but for you, but everybody's trying to get to the league. And so they immediately want to go someplace where they can get higher on the depth chart. Well, let me tell you a secret about that, especially with football, but even with basketball, all that matters is your last year of film, right? Like if you stay <laughs> here, you'll get to the top of the depth chart and you'll put up the film that you need in order to get to where you're going. And I don't think that like leaving these places is going to do it for you. Like, and I don't, and I could be like totally wrong on this. I'm totally wrong on this. A great example of this, Will Graves, for all the trouble that Will Graves had while he was in school and everything else, there was still a job as a video coordinator for him at the University of North Carolina because he stuck around, right? He was mm -hmm. there and he became part of something. And I think all this chasing that they're doing, nobody's making the argument to a lot of these guys. If you stay at this place, you can be part of something and being part of something really, really matters down the line. Like you think about guys, this college players whose name that you could throw out, they would never go make the NBA, but people around them parts like them for whatever reason. Man, mm -hmm. you get you a car, job selling cars, open your little restaurant, you know, whatever it is. But even if you don't get money out of it, you get to be at a place. But these guys are transferring now two, three times mm -hmm. while yeah. they're in school. Nobody cares about you when you do that and you, and you don't win. Mm -hmm. But as long as the coaches can do it, it's ridiculous to then say that the players can't. And I always say, I mean, we have to give people the right to make bad decisions. And yeah. a lot of them are making horrific decisions. I, I agree with that. And also you said like the benefits to staying and kind of sticking it out. Like Will Graves is a great person. And I wouldn't be able to say that if he didn't stay at Carolina forever. Right. Uh, but also um, I think it teaches kids that when things aren't going the right way, I can just pack my bags and go somewhere else and have a different result. And I think it doesn't look at, hey, what can I do? Why am I not working here? They just pack their bags and think that if you take that same mindset and doing what you're doing here, it's going to work somewhere else. And that that's only been my uh, issue with the transfer portal. But uh, there's no way you can't do it for the kids if you allow the coaches to do it. But I also think in a couple of years, we're going to have some stories of these dudes finding out they couldn't play here and they can't play there neither. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you do like you do wind up with some interesting stories to me, like Jameson Williams, the wide receiver at Ohio State who left because he couldn't get any burn and then was the best receiver on, on, at Alabama. I'm like, oh, OK, like, hey, you just, you just have to show up in a crowded place. I understand. Like this worked out very well for you. But a lot of these cats, man, you just go go ride to Oak in another place. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. But my name will get you out of here on this one, as Kornheiser likes to say, top five all time Carolina basketball players. Okay, are we going in terms of favorites or like the best? See, this is what we do is we leave it open in it. It's whatever you want it to be. Okay. We've learned okay. as we start getting into Twitter here, which is something else <laughs> altogether. We love Twitter. We love we it's the wild, wild west. We too, prefer Omar. not we love the smack talk. <laughs> we prefer not setting that because somebody's gonna get pissed no matter what you say. All and right. I am do. going to do like a hybrid of like best and just favorites for while they were in school i'm going to try to keep it to my lifetime so feel forward forgive me you are not going <laughs> to wind up here right so as they were in school i think three best players of my lifetime or at least we'll probably call it the four best players of my lifetime would have to be jordan worthy hansbro and antoine james and that then requires that the fifth be Rashi Wallace because he is Rashi Wallace. Hell like, yeah. like that, like that's where we go. If I could have Jerry Stackhouse come off the bench as the sixth man, because it might get rowdy out here, 
then boom, <laughs> we gon' we 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 gonna do this. This is this is a five. It's hard, hard, hard for Carolina. Oh yeah, I love that list, and I also almost ask you about what do you if you thought Rasheed Wallace would be a great college coach. I mean, when we're talking oh. about Deion Sanders, I was like, man, Rasheed Wallace, I think would be a great recruit recruiter. I'm not even joking about this. Literally, the very first person to broach this idea in public is me. When I hosted a radio show in Durham, I had the Coach Sheen movement. I had yep, music I'll playing never for it. it. And the, the whole nine, movement. we were talking about this in 2008 and in 2009. Uh-huh. I was like, how Eric Adelson of ESPN the Magazine wrote a great story about Sheed and how he could be a coach. And I, I jumped on the movement like... I would not be surprised if at some point you saw him as an assistant at Carolina. Like he he had the job at Memphis and then that got a little bit mm-hmm. weird. But no, no, no. Sheed would be excellent. The only problem with Sheed is he's one of those super duper geniuses that I don't like give I, I could see him being frustrated that he can't explain it to everybody else. I, I love she I would love to see him as a coach eventually. I mean, he's He's done a great job. I've been around him a good bit. I uh, played a lot of pickup with him and uh, there's no sugar coating. You get what she, and I would love to see him as a head coach also pick up technicals. That would be uh, great well, too. I'm just trying to imagine you elbow and sheet. And then what happens next? <laughs> hey, you know, the thing that people don't talk about Sheed is how big Sheed is. Yes. You see, she, Sheed is huge. And people don't realize when you're that big, you're not moving him. If he wants to post up and play hard, there's no moving cheat. He is much stronger than he looks. Yeah, like I think people think you're bigger than you are and don't think he is as big as he was. Like the thing with you is that you were a lot quicker than I think that people realize because I would be watching that and I'd be like, oh, that's why these guys can't stay there. He just hit him with one of those. Oh, okay, that'll do it. Yeah, it, it, a film will never describe Sheed's strength either. I mean, he's... I mean, he's he's a big dude, but uh, yeah, the idea that though they had Sheed stack and Touche there at the same time never stops being. Uh, I can't imagine what that was like on a day to day basis situation. Oh, it's I couldn't imagine either. I mean, they're both. Yeah, that I can't imagine. Bomani, man, we could we could keep you here all day, and if you'd let us, we would. But uh, I appreciate so much you coming on, man. It means a ton to us. Um, everybody, go check out Game Theory, man, and. Uh, I mean, you're welcome here anytime. If there's anything we can ever do for you, I don't know what the hell it would be. Hey, man, you're doing it right now, man. I (laughs) appreciate it. Game Theory, Fridays at 11 p.m. Eastern on HBO and HBO Max. We're coming on right after Real Time with Bill Maher. So, you know, get through him. Get to us. Check Check it out. Check it out. Bomani, thank you. Thank you a lot. No problem, man. All right, man. Let me jump on my next meeting, but I appreciate y'all. Thank you, Bomani. Take it easy, brother. All right, out. Well, Big Hawk, that might have been. Said it before. Said it again. Might have been the most interesting conversation I've ever had with anybody. Love his thoughts. Um, I'm going to go check out Game Theory, make sure yeah. everybody else does. Um, that was great. I, I loved having him on. Guys, subscribe to HBO if for no other reason than just get this shit. I mean, the show is is good. Bomani is a, is a Tar Heel, foremost. Um, and he's a supporter of the show, man. So... Go check it out, please. Um, let us know your thoughts, like who you want us to get next, because, damn, we're on a roll. I mean, we're, we're we're about as big as the Beatles right now. I mean, like the Beatles right now, not when they were. But, I mean, you know, it's pretty fucking big. So, you got anything else, Big Hawk? Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe.